You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, before it gets out, do I have to worry about any videos coming out of you pissing on a pub wall? Probably. It's probably <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably happened at some point in my life, to be fair. I mean, I would like to say no, but uh, I, I didn't actually see this story. I, I think you're talking about Stewie Jew. Yeah, which, Stewie uh, I, I, I actually I saw the, the statement. I got the email of the statement from Gold Coast last night, and then I tried to... I had to do a Twitter search because I actually hadn't seen anything about this, but uh, it's unfortunate. It was a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and it, it, it was someone uh, on the staff filmed it, and you know, it mm. got passed around in the you know, the group chat amongst the coaches. And then uh, I think that staff has been fired, and he uh, had an axe to grind, and then <laughs> and leaked it out. Uh, pun and completely intended. So yeah, not not a great look for Stewie Dew, but it is yeah from a while ago, and I think we can. Uh, I just want to make a joke. That's sim- simple as that. But there is more actual news that is interesting. The <laughs> AFL finals are set. Port Adelaide got the job done against Collingwood, so we do have the finals ready to go, Kane. What are those matchups? Yeah, so we'll have Port Adelaide and Geelong. Uh, that'll be at uh, Adelaide Oval. And then uh, Brisbane, Richmond, that one will be at the Gabba. And you're going to have West Coast and Collingwood at Optus Stadium. And then the final matchup, which uh, I guess the venue is still up in the air a little bit, and we may as well start there. It's going to be St Kilda as the uh, quote-unquote home team, finishing sixth against the Western Bulldogs. Now, this game looks like it's going to be at the Adelaide Oval. That seems to be what the reporting is saying. St Kilda, for obvious reasons, probably would prefer to stay in Queensland and play this game at the Gabba. Uh, They have gone to Adelaide Oval twice this year and won both of those games against Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Remember that, that week that they had earlier on in the season. But I think for the purpose of... Uh, stability, staying in the hub, staying comfortable, not having to move. They would prefer to play this game in Queensland, but uh, going by the fixture and what the AFL wants to do, and they want to have uh, the the Brisbane game on the Saturday night, uh, which would then make it very difficult to have, obviously, two games at the Gabriel one day. They're not going to do that. And it's the kind of the strange thing is that they're saying that they wouldn't want to play a game at Metricon Stadium because of... Uh, the crowd numbers, I think I saw that, which is kind of bizarre to me, considering that it's St. Kilda Bulldogs either in Queensland or Adelaide anyway. So I don't really understand why that would matter, and I, I don't really understand why you couldn't just play the game at Metricon. I have a lot of thoughts on this. For a start, yeah, there's Nick Rewalt's coming out complaining, oh, the team that finishes six should get to choose where they play. That's all well and good in theory, Nick, but the AFL never works that way. Geelong doesn't get to play their finals at GMHBA Stadium. The Bulldogs finished six in 2015 and didn't get to play at their final at uh, then Etihad Stadium. It just is not how it works. But for a start, okay, why couldn't you play at Metricon? Are they selling out these grounds? I don't think so. They're not even allowed to sell them out. I'm sure Queensland can't have full crowds in all these games. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, if it is an issue and you have to play at the Gabba, you have full control over the fixture AFL, so that why that game could be played on Thursday night. It could be played on yeah, Friday night. Yeah. The two Queensland games don't need to be played on the same day. 
Like sh- surely the elimination final could be the Thursday night, Friday night, whatever you want to do if you want to make it that way. Um, it's it's just you know, fair enough. Brisbane gets the preference; they get the Saturday night at the Gabba. There's, there's no worries about that. But if you've got to have these two teams who are based in Queensland, St Kilda and the Bulldogs, and you can have another Queensland game. So look for all this. Oh, we've got a Queensland hub, and you're going to have three out of the first four finals not in Queensland. <laughs> It's really confusing, and it's not like, oh, we have to play both of those games on the Saturday, because you absolutely 100% don't, and it is very, very much a, I don't actually care where it's played, but I'm sure both of those teams who are situated in Queensland would prefer to play it in Queensland. It just makes a lot of sense, and I, I do not understand where this is going. Yeah, I will say, I don't think the travel really matters so much with this game, even though, again, I understand why, if you don't have to travel, you don't want to, it probably make things a lot easier, but the fact that uh, it's not like there's a compressed fixture. They would have a week off even if they win anyway. I don't think the travel is a big deal. And part of me, and you sort of touched it up, part of me as a Geelong fan when I was watching Nick Rewald on the couch last night, I was like, <laughs> come on, Nick. You finished sixth. You finished sixth. Geelong finished first and they can't even get a game at their damn home final. And that's when crowds are allowed in. So I, I think that this year, you know, as much as any, I, I don't think it really matters where you play so much. It would matter if they were playing Adelaide. And, and the AFL was saying, no, you're going to go play in Adelaide. That would make sense. But the fact that it's going to be a neutral uh, site for both teams anyway, I don't think it matters so much. But I, I kind of agree. I don't know why the AFL was trying to say that this is they are pigeonholed into having these games on this particular day. It's all very strange to me. It does seem like it could be something that could very, very, very easily be worked out. And, uh, and perhaps they just don't want to do that. Perhaps they're set on not playing any finals at Metricon Stadium at all. We know the surface has been... It's looked a little rough. Everyone that's up there says that the surface is fine and there's nothing wrong with it. But perhaps there's some optics as well. They don't want to play a game there. I'm not too sure. I mean, Adelaide Oval is probably, you know, venue-wise, is clearly the better ground. But it's not like you're selling it out with 50000 anyway. So I don't know. I, I just think the whole thing's kind of strange. Some more news on the finals before we get into some other news across the league. Aaron Norton uh, said to have surgery on his face after that clash with Sean Darcy. He still could be a chance to play in the first final against St. Kilda, so we'll have to, to pay attention to that. We do have the week off, which does uh, benefit Norton in getting ready for that one. And then some uh, free agency news, Kane. We've talked so much about GWS and their free agency and out-of-contract players. Aiden Core already gone. Looks like North Melbourne is where he is headed. And now Zach Williams has said he is uh, he's done as well. At least he waited until after the final game and has apparently chosen Carlton. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a huge loss for the for the Giants. I mean, you talk about Aiden Core clearly. Uh, someone that's in their best 22, but Zach Williams is maybe in their best, uh, I don't know, I mean, 10, 5, 6, yeah, I mean, how, how high you want to go. He's yeah. certainly really important to them. And I thought this year the games that he missed, he had two separate injuries that kept him out. And I thought during those those stretches were when uh, the Giants really struggled big time because they lacked that attack. They lacked that run out of the back line. Interesting, though, that he does want to go to Carlton because I think he's the type of player that Carlton do need in terms of, yes, you're going to be losing Kate Simpson, but you can plug Zach Williams straight in there. The thing that is is kind of crazy is the dollar amount that they're talking about. So $900,000 a season or thereabouts for five years, I think, is the deal that they're reporting, which clearly is an overpay. I mean, it's way too much. This guy is good, but he's not in the elite bracket. I think this would have him on par, perhaps more than Paddy Cripps. From what I, I looked up, I tried to read. I know it's hard to find out the salaries of these players, but it's certainly around the ballpark or even maybe a little bit more. So... I mean, it's always strange. You have to, with the way free agency is, and this is really the same with free agency basically across any sport, you have to pay over to get a guy into your club. That's generally the way this works. But 900000 for five years, Carlton has a bunch of young guys that are coming through. 
And I'm just not sure where this will leave them in a couple of years. And I just wonder, if you're going to pay that much money for a, a guy, I'm not sure if Zach Williams is the difference maker you want to have on your team. And he's good. I, I like him a lot. But if you go down, up and down his stats uh, and where he ranks uh, in the league, he's uh, below average for disposal efficiency, 69, below average kick efficiency uh, at 64 as well. So he wins a lot of footy. He's an attacking player. I think Carlton could probably use that. But I don't know. I'm not sure. That's a lot of money. I saw something when I was you know, looking at this last night of Carlton people suggesting that he'd just go straight into the midfield. And I don't really see him as, as a midfielder. I think, yeah, as you said, just slotting into that Cade Simpson role is exactly where where he fits. But if you're paying him 900000 maybe that's where they want him to play. That doesn't sound right to me, though. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, at times this year, we spoke about Carlton. They did look a little bit one pace through the midfield. So maybe he is a guy that they could see that they can put him in there. Uh, and he can sort of expand on that role. I mean, the thing, when you think about the Giants and the depth that they've had in the midfield, uh, maybe that's his preferred position as well. And maybe that's part of the reason why he wants to leave. I'm not 100% sure, but maybe the opportunities just weren't there and he's been pigeonholed into this halfback role. So that would be interesting uh, to see him because I, I think there is difference, obviously, between playing off halfback. If you move 50 metres up the field, he's a guy that gets you 300-plus metres gained per, per week. Maybe... Uh, having that clearance ability and someone that can burst free from the stoppage is something they need for the Blues. I'm not so sure. I mean, just very good player. Just uh, that's, that's a lot of money. More more GWS news. Heath Shaw wants to play on. He'd be happy to move back to Victoria. The rumblings are around that maybe he'd want to go and play for his uh, brother at North Melbourne. How long his brother's the coach there remains to be seen. But that's that could potentially be a move. And of course, when we're talking free agents, North Melbourne always has to be mentioned as a team that uh, gets flirted with and never never gets the, the player across the line. But I don't really understand why they'd be looking for a 34-year-old Heath Shaw, 35. Maybe I'm even underselling his age. Why they would be looking to bring him in for a team that uh, desperately needs to, uh, to really tear it down and rebuild. But he looks to be on the move. And the other one uh, involves your blokes. And that is the... the rumor slash almost confirmation that Brad Crouch is going to be heading uh, to Geelong. Yeah, just on Hans Shaw, first of all, I agree. For the age situation is kind of strange, and we've spoke all year about the fact that they probably held on a year too long to some of their older players. So, yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, clearly the family tie is there. The only other thing I would say is perhaps they would look at this and say, no, we're not bringing Hans Shaw in to play finals next year. We're not bringing him in. Uh, to be a guy that's going to push us over the edge. But we're going to bring him in because he's someone that's going to keep everyone accountable. And I think that's one thing that he has done through his career. You've seen that, uh, you know, for better or worse, he's, he's very demonstrative out on the field. And maybe he would be able to lift the standards a little bit because clearly North Melbourne this year, uh, I mean, they had, a, they had an awful year. And maybe they feel like that's a void that they have in the leadership there. So it, w- it would be a strange one for sure. But I'm just not sure what other teams would want Heath Shaw at this age anyway. So maybe that's the only situation he's going to move into. And uh, Brad Crouch, I I wouldn't say that I would be... I mean, I'm not. As a Geelong supporter, I wouldn't say I'd be absolutely uh, over the moon about that. I mean, he's, he's a good player. I'm not sure the Cats need him, though whole bunch of other sort of rumours around free agency as well regarding Melbourne and Tom McDonald perhaps looking to go to. You, of course, you know it's going to be North Melbourne. Um, talk about Saad and Merritt and Danaher 
potentially looking to move on from Essendon, Hurley, Hooker, Fantasia, a whole bunch of Essendon players <laughs> perhaps uh, perhaps moving on. Talk of Jack Viney maybe not being long for Melbourne as well. So lots of talk around free agency. But the, the two ones that have sort of you know, locked in at this point appear to be Zach Williams and uh, and Brad Crouch with maybe McDonald to North Melbourne a little bit lower on the certainty scale at this stage, but we're going to get way more of that news coming through in the next couple of weeks as the trade period really starts to uh, to ramp up. But we did have a game last night, Kane. It was Port Adelaide. It was Collingwood. It finished off the home and away season. Port finishes on top. Do we take anything away from this game? We said both teams had a lot to play for. It was relatively tight. 16, 16 points, the final margin. Port gets the win. What do we take away from this one? Is there are there positives there for Collingwood? Uh, are there worries for Port Adelaide? Like how, how do we see this game? Uh, this was pretty comprehensive from Port. I think the game went the way that they wanted it to. They really dominated uh, the the territory, which is something I spoke about yesterday. They're going to try and lock the ball in their forward half, and it's going to be difficult for Collingwood uh, to get out of that, particularly because Collingwood refuses to take risks. So I think that this was the big thing for me. This was a game that Collingwood had to win. And I just don't think that you could look at this game coming in and say, I think Collingwood can beat Port Adelaide if they play slow, if they don't take risks, if they're not willing to move the ball forward with any type of speed. So, again, I mean, I think we, we got what we expect from them. Four behinds at half time, uh, sorry, four straight goals at half time, only four scoring shots. You know, uh, they need to, and it, it's probably too late now for this season, to be perfectly honest, but they need to take more risks. They need to take the game on a little bit. They ended up uh, losing the inside 50 count, 35 to 44 despite the fact that the disposals were pretty close, so only minus six on Port Adelaide. That's a pretty typical number for the Pies. They average around 320 disposals per game. So they got their hands on the footy, but they weren't able to do anything with it. Port Adelaide are a pretty good defensive team. So I think if you were going to score against them, they needed to, again, go through the corridor attack, take some risks, be prepared to have a score kicked against you. And I just don't think they've shown any ability to do that this year. Yeah, that's that's been the thing with them as well. Is just that that weird sort of style that just doesn't get that that score going. The really high, uh, also really low kick to handball ratio in this one it was almost one to one in the end of this game. And yeah, they probably were kept in it by that accurate kicking. And we've talked about accurate kicking a ton, but it always felt like Port Adelaide just had enough of a buffer. They were just always in control of this one. I don't think Collingwood should be completely discouraged uh, from this game. They're taking on the, the top team in the league and they kept it to two and a half goals and they were relatively, you know, they were competitive in this game, but they didn't really ever feel like a big threat to uh, to power away or to, to actually you know, make this game tight in the end, which... When they have to take on you know, West Coast next week is going to make it tough. I think that one of the big positives is Brody Grundy looked a little bit better in this one after having six, seven weeks of really being yeah below his best. Um, we got another big game from Jack Chris Pendlebury, yeah, breaking the club record. Josh Dacos played pretty well again. So those players who have been yeah through the midfield, yeah. You know, putting up these big performances, did it again, and that's encouraging. It is just trying to work out what happens in that forward line. And your uh, your player du jour, Mason Cox, not quite as on in this one as he has been in the others. He created a contest again, but uh, I just don't think the ball movement helped him out at all. So uh, even when I look at the goals that, that Co- <coughs> excuse me, the goals that Collingwood kicked in this one, uh, so they've kicked seven goals for the night, but you think about some of those. So uh, Jane Stevenson, yeah, pretty mercurial snap. Uh, Adam Trelaw as well finished one off pretty well in the first quarter so they're, they're really difficult goals still and they still rely on a little bit of brilliance there's nothing easy that comes for them and I think that's the difficult thing for the Pies when you look at them right throughout the season and it doesn't surprise me that they stayed in the game because they do have a pretty dour back six 
and, and they'll be able to stop you even if uh, you get the uh, consistent entries which Port Adelaide did I will back the Collingwood back six to stop a team from completely putting a, a flood of goals on them I think the only team funnily enough that's done that is has been West Coast in that game last time they played at Optus Stadium that blew out a little bit but yeah I, I don't know whether it's it's personnel with Collingwood as well and I think that that's you know, perhaps why I've been pumping up Isaac Quainor so much because there was a period last night where he got the ball, went through the middle, and they did get a good scoring opportunity. And I, I just think that he's one of the only guys in that back six that will take the game on, but then be able to use the ball as well. So someone like Braden Maynard clearly is an attacking player, and he's had a fantastic season. But I'm not sure if he's a finisher. He's more of a hard, tough, contested player. He'll beat you in a one-on-one, and then he'll burst away. Um, has become a really good player, but I, I'm not sure if he's, he's the finisher that you want with the footy in his hands. And maybe they do lack a little bit of that. And it's kind of interesting. We just spoke about Zach Williams. I, I, you know, I wonder if Collingwood needs someone like that, someone that will actually, you know, regardless of the style that they are playing, the style that they want to play, someone that will just grab the ball and say, stop this. Uh, I'm, I'm running away from here and I'm going to pump it long. Uh, I'm not sure if they have that guy. Yeah, that would be an interesting fit, actually, if they probably can't afford that sort of uh, coin yeah. to get him in there. But that's the sort of player that would be really interesting for this team to go along with a, a hard and tough Maynard down there and you know release Queen or up onto the wing a little bit as well uh, after he's played a, a lot of halfback. It was also, it, it's hard to win when someone who we've talked about a lot, you know, Jordan Degoe, really wasn't as anywhere near as impactful as what he was in the game before. And he feels like he's going to be really a big key for this team. He only had seven touches. He, he kicked just the, the one goal, but he wasn't as as impactful as what he was in his first game back the week prior. And that's going to be the key. Like, can he get something going in that final against West Coast? I think Port Adelaide, they knew they had to get the job done. They got the job done. Uh, they got it done relatively comfortably, and they'd be pretty happy sitting there at first overall and uh, taking on Geelong next week. So they got exactly what they wanted out of that game, and I don't really think they'd have too many concerns uh, out of what uh, transpired. Now, Port Adelaide will be feeling good. And the big thing for them... And we talk about the veteran midfield that they have got. Uh, I mean, they dominated the clearances. 40 to 24, 14 to 4 out of the midfield, though. 10 clearances for Rockliffe. He had 30 disposals as well. He was huge. Robbie Gray had seven. Ollie Wines, Travis Spoke. You can keep going through. Uh, Pal Pepper as well. So they just got big bodies. And Collingwood, uh, we talk about their sort of all-star midfield. Again, Brody Grundy, we know he's been down on form. I, I didn't think he was great again last night. But this is where Port Adelaide... This is why they can rely on playing that front half possession game, territory game, because they're so good around the clearances. They got all those veterans in there, big bodies uh, that help them just get the ball forward, and then they lock it in there with the uh, with the more pacey little fellas. We saw Mutlop even had an impact last night as well. So, yeah, I mean they're in a good spot, Port. There's no doubt about that. Those, yeah, you talk about that forward pressure when you feel confident and you know that your midfield is going to the you know, vast majority of the time get those clearances, that just enables everyone to push forward and go, well, yeah, if I take that risk on something that's a 50-50 ball, but in essence for us it's a 60-40 or it's a 65-35, then you've got just that stream of pressure running forward. And that's what Port Adelaide's able to do because they know that they're going to get these clearances majority of the time so they can then yeah, put a few more assets forward to put that forward pressure on and then really get that attacking game going. And it, it does all start from that those clearances. Now, clearances aren't the be-all and end-all, but when you have that confidence you're going to win them, it just enables everyone else to do things a little bit differently that you don't have to be on the back foot thinking, oh, okay, well, now we have to be ready to defend. Now we're ready to attack straight away every time a ball is in dispute because we feel like that we're going to get that the majority of the time and it's going to work in our favor and we saw that again last night well i think and again and we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the finals but i think again this is why if you project forward collingwood are in big trouble because you you can't if you're playing collingwood you understand 
that if Collingwood's entries are coming from anywhere other than the centre bounce, so when the 666 in their space to uh, move and the forwards have room to potentially get a one-on-one, you feel like you're going to be in pretty good shape. And for Collingwood to only get four centre clearances uh, for the entire game, I just think if you're playing Collingwood right now, completely locked down on the centre clearances, make sure you don't lose those, and you'll feel confident that they're not going to kick a score against you. And, uh, you know, again, you project forward playing West Coast, Nick Nat, uh, that's not good for them. No, it's uh, it, it could get, and we saw how ugly it got last time they played West Coast. Yes, the teams are a little bit different. The situation is a little bit different. You'd hope they wouldn't give up the way they did at the end of that game, but that could, uh, could get rough. But we'll, we'll, again, we're going to talk about that throughout the rest of this week. But now we've just got a, a bit of a, uh, a more broad finals overview, I guess, just sort of looking at uh, how things could play out. And uh, it's time for This or That. This or That. Finals are a bit of a different situation, Kane, to what it is in the regular home and away season. The pressure is obviously ramped up, intensity is there, but there are teams that play different styles, and you don't expect teams to go in and just completely change what they do through the season, because teams, especially the good teams, they are playing to get themselves into this position, but also to have that game style that they believe will work in the finals, and there's very, very big differences between these teams. You've got teams like Richmond and Port, uh, even Brisbane, that just put so much pressure on moving forward, you know, really fast ball movement the Bulldogs when they get things cracking like super fast ball movement attacking play and then you've got teams like West Coast and even more agreed not egregious is the wrong word but even more you know, it stands out even more Geelong is the way they get the ball and they just slow it all the way down really taking tempo out of the game and trying to just control things on uh, on their own terms so that, that always creates a really interesting contrast when those teams come up against each other but if you're looking at your you're probably going to have an answer that ties in with the team that you watch. But which style do you think is the ben- the, the, the better style to be going for in finals? Is it that high-level manic pressure, forcing teams into more mistakes by that level of pressure and the, the offensive and defensive pressure? Or is it having the ball on your own terms, slowing things down and sort of dissecting the other team? Like, Which style do you think is more suited to finals? Well, I think whatever Richmond's doing. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds like a simple answer. But the, the big thing is that I just think that there's more scope for um, whether it's it's different weather conditions, different uh, yeah, rains, dewy conditions that potentially we're going to see, particularly at night games, because we know as the finals roll on, uh, they're going to move away from day games. They do it every single year. So uh, I think if you look at the way that Richmond play, they can just trust that the way they play will stack up in any weather conditions. So it seems easy to just jump on Richmond and say, well, that's the way I would want to play because they've won two out of the last three grand finals. I know West Coast was in between there. So you could you could certainly argue that. But I think one thing that Adam Simpson said after the game against North Melbourne was kind of interesting to me. He said, you know, I know we've been playing up in Queensland for quite a while now and you think we'd be used to the conditions, but we had to get out there tonight and we didn't realize how dewy it was going to be. And then we kind of had to restructure the way we were playing and rejig the way we were playing. Now, we know they only beat North Melbourne by a couple of goals in the end. And even in the fourth quarter, it looked like potentially the game could be in some sort of danger for them. So I think when I heard that, it did make me realize, and I've just spoke about Collingwood and the fact that I think it's too late for them to change the style of play. And I think that's the case with Geelong. And I think that is, to, to a lesser extent, the case for the West Coast. I think Geelong's probably the, the most extreme version of this. And I just think it puts you under pressure come finals time. Because, again, I have said that I think some of the Cats' success this year has come through playing against fatigued teams. 
where the pressure isn't able to be at the level that it's going to be in finals when you have a week off or in this instance you have a week and a half off before that first final against Port. So, yeah, I just think there's more scope um, for error with the way that a team like Richmond and Port Adelaide play than there is Geelong. And I, I think come finals time, that's that's where you can get found out. You said about you know Richmond you're winning two of the last three. You go back to your favourite year, of course, came the 2016 grand final as well. The Bulldogs had that pressure game as yep. well that took them to a premiership. So that's three of the last four that have worked on that high-pressure, high-intensity speed game. You're putting offensive pressure and defensive pressure on that has been successful throughout September and you know, West Coast with that. Um, that difference there. And Geelong, we know they've had their finals failings over the course of the last four, five years with you know, losses that they'd be expected to win many, many times over uh, throughout these games. So I guess history would tell us that putting that extra pressure on, if you can execute it, has been successful. But do the conditions then change that? Um, you know, Leading to more, more error perhaps? Or... You could, I could look at it the other way easily and say, well, putting that pressure on when you're used to playing that way versus the, the, your opponents who aren't necessarily um, you know, used to dealing with that gives you that um, advantage because the other team who's not used to that high pressure, high pace sort of game might be more fumbly in those wetter conditions. It's really hard to say. I think I would lean more towards the Richmonds, the Ports, the, the, the Brisbane, the attacking pressure type teams. Um, and, and that can, it feels to me like it's got more of a chance of being successful here in the finals. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> again, I'm really struggling today. Again, I uh, it, it's it's just the way that I see that the teams like Richmond, and we've seen it before, we saw it in the second half of the prelim last year, they are going to press up. They're going to press up with that with that pressure and, if your uh, game style is based around chipping the ball around a slow ball movement, you better not turn the ball over in the back half. And that's where, again, you're relying on on your skills, you're relying on perfect conditions, you're relying on uh, players not feeling that extra added pressure of the finals. And maybe this year it's a little bit different because there isn't 100,000 at the MCG. I'm not sure what kind of effect that will have. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, finals are finals and players are going to feel that, but you're not going to be in that cauldron that they normally are. And I'm not sure whether that makes a big difference at all, particularly when you are playing a team like Richmond where, I mean, literally the MCG is, is bloody shaking if you're at one of those games. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I just, it's been a a sort of a a concern of mine for teams like that. I've said this the whole time. If you rely on precise ball movement, you better have a plan B and you better be able to play the other style as well, as well, because that's typically uh, the way that finals ended up being won. So I, I, again, that's why I probably have Port, Richmond, Brisbane, ahead of uh, those other teams. Uh, similar to you, basically exactly uh, with where you're coming from as well. So that, I guess, begs the question, if that is something that we both think, if that is something that has you know, been a successful formula throughout the last four years of the AFL finals, majority of the time, why are teams not... Is, is it is it just a personal philosophy? Is it a personnel issue in terms of we don't have the players to do this but why are teams you know like Geelong and like West Coast and you know, like Collingwood even like why aren't teams trying to duplicate that or at least bring those parts of the game in because I, I look, when go back to that Geelong Bulldogs game when the Bulldogs pulled on six goals in the first quarter Geelong couldn't keep up with what was going on and then they got it back on their terms but you have to have that extra party and I'm not sure that Geelong or, or West Coast has that level if things aren't going right with their style to actually turn it turn it up like why do we think that teams aren't, you know, I guess, at least putting some part of that into their game? Well, I think Geelong are a team that, uh, and, and similar for Collingwood as well, 
I think they're defense first. So the, the benefit of playing the slow style, the methodical style, is that the idea would be even if you do turn the ball over, are you going to have your uh, defense structured up behind the footy? And I, I think that's what they're banking on. Even if at times they do have to go long to a contest, a team like Geelong and a team like Collingwood will back themselves in around the clearances, certainly West Coast as well, obviously. So I, I think the idea with those two teams is, or those three teams are, Yes, uh, it, it is risky, but A, we back our ball use of our players. We think we've got a skilled team. Uh, B, if we have to kick the ball long to a contest, we're fine with a stoppage because we think we can win that. But C, the most important thing is we want to keep our defensive structure set up at all times. So uh, we saw the Cats get blown open a little bit by the Tigers where, with the, the turnover, and then they were able to get quick scores at the other end, which is what the Cats try and prevent. Richmond clearly are the best team in the league at it. But that would be the idea. That would be the thinking for mine is that these teams uh, are more concerned about their defensive structures. And I, I think they believe, and we've seen it with Collingwood this year, that even though they're not kicking a score, they very, very rarely get blown out. And I think that these teams want to keep themselves in the game at all times. And they think that that's the best chance of doing so. It's going to be really interesting with these contrasting styles, some really good teams and even top four to five um, some exciting teams down the bottom of the of the eight as well. I think we're in for a, a pretty good final series, and it's amazing that we've even gotten here uh, at this stage. And the finals, we're still you know, a week and a half away from them kicking off, or maybe a week because we've got the, the Thursday night game coming up. So we're going to you know, preview those games when we get a little bit more information. We've got some other stuff interesting happening during the week, so don't... Don't, uh, don't leave us. We've got plenty of great AFL content with AFL finals coming up for you here on Locked On AFL. Kane, we got there. We're in, into the finals, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. I wasn't sure when they came back how it was going to work out, and it was funny, actually. Uh, I was thinking the other day, because obviously things are looking a little bit better here in Victoria, and uh, I was thinking back to when it all started to kick off, and then I thought about the Conor McKenna Positive or not positive, whatever it was, we still don't actually really know. But that feels like feels like a long, long time ago, and it actually did feel like at that point that the season might not get through. So uh, they've done a great job. They have. It's been great that we've had footy. There's been you know, people are complaining all over the shop, but I think realistically, um, we've had great games. We've had big performances. Everything has gone almost as well as you could have hoped for. And uh, I think everything's gone almost as well as we could have hoped for on this podcast, guys, but it'll be even better if you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help the show get out there to more people. And with the finals kicking off, we want as many people listening as possible. I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Billy Goggin.